sisters in Christ around the world. We're laboring for the gospel. We're grateful for them. We look forward to George Sayor coming. Thank you for this young man of God who has given him a voice and leadership and a passion for the gospel. Thank you that we get to share his ministry and be challenged for mission from the gospel of Mark. Bless him, his family, his preparation. 
prepare our hearts, <clears throat> prepare our, our generosity, Father, that you would show us. We pray about our faith promise giving, how much you would have us sacrificially give for the sake of the gospel around the world. We pray for those who we, we do support, that they would be faithful to you, that they would be strong, that they would be courageous in the midst of persecution, that you would protect us, be in harm's way. We think particularly uh, of the shepherds in Ukraine. We think of uh, Jacob and Lisa in Armenia and all of the conflict that surrounds them. We pray that you would keep them safe and uh, help them to be very, very uh, effective for the gospel. That they would be useful here for your kingdom in a way that is far beyond anything they could think or even ask. We pray that for all missionaries. We pray that for our ministries here. We pray for churches who are faithful to you to be raised up, to, to speak the truth of the gospel to every part of life. We pray that for our own community. We pray for um, our state, beyond our state's borders, to all the states. Father, we're a nation in deep crisis, deep division. Father, deep fractures, and we know the answer is not any political messiah or political savior. We know the only answer is to bow the knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as citizens in a representative government, we use our, our, our citizenship wisely. We pray for the evil deeds of darkness to be exposed and brought to light. We pray that the wicked would be dealt with accordingly and brought to justice. And Father, we pray that in this election season that godly leaders would be raised up. Father, we thank you for chastening. We thank you for rebuke, because it's in these times that we, we learn how we uh, don't depend on these external things. We depend completely and totally upon you. Father, we pray for our, our brothers and sisters who were persecuted for their faith today. We think of, of those in, in, who gather to worship in fear of their lives. We ask that you would be merciful to that you would protect them and watch over them. And Father, that they would advance the gospel through their worship as we do here today. Father, we pray for our members who are hurting. Father, we have members who are re recovering from illness. We have members who are in the midst of treatments. We have members who are dealing with chronic illness and disease. We ask that you would be gracious to these. We have members who are going through personal trials and torments, Father, who are struggling in their marriages in different ways. You know all these things. You know in each one that your, your power and your might through the grace of the Lord Jesus can intervene and overcome. Father, you know the broken relationships we have uh, that come directly from disobedience and rebellion, Father, 
cure that in us, give us repentance, give us new zeal. And Father, for those uh, who are out wandering of our country, that you would uh, help them come to themselves, and that self being informed by the Holy Spirit to turn them to you, because that's the only way they will come. We're grateful for the evangelism class yesterday, and the reminders of the points of the gospel and helpful ways to communicate it. We realize that no presentation of the gospel will ever be effective apart from the Holy Spirit's work and operation. And we pray for that. We pray for that for those loved ones that we're praying for, that we are going to write down and commit ourselves to pray for, for their repentance and turning to you. And we would see fruit as a result and opportunities that you would give us those divine appointments to speak the truth in love, and uh, to do so without compromise. Father, we plead for your mercy. We deserve judgment. We do deserve your wrath. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross took wrath upon himself. He took the cup of condemnation that we deserve. He took the cup of wrath, and he drank it to the dregs on the cross for sinners. We're grateful for that glorious truth. Father, be with us as we turn to your word, as we hear that, as it, as it, as it is expounded, let it speak to the deepest part of our hearts and souls. Do your work to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. If you missed the first uh, few weeks of January here, We've begun a series of messages for Romans. Um, today, at verse 18, I'll read through verse 25. Give your attention to the Word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Father, bless their understanding, the reading, and the exposition of your infallible, inerrant word. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This theme of 
wrath of God, to say the least, is not one that you uh, hear preached upon very often. That's why we have the discipline here of reading through uh, the Bible. But it was it's tempting just to kind of gloss through this, gloss over it, get to the good part. That's hard to do in the book of Romans. Because beginning here at verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's theme is the wrath of God against sin. God's hatred of, of sinful rebellion. The object of God's wrath, according to our text, is all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's a lot of wrath. The words ungodliness and unrighteousness in verse 18 are words that are directly related to the Ten Commandments. Ungodliness deals with the first table of the law. Right away, I'll just insert an advertisement for the Friday morning it should be men's Bible study on the Westminster Larger Catechism. We've just uh, gotten through um, the Fourth Commandment. So this is uh, the theme that's pressed on my mind. We have such an incredible legacy with our, with our confession of faith and so Bible-based. We, we spend the whole time just simply going through verses, and we, we are not going very quickly through through the, the, the volume of uh, Scripture that's in, in there. But Paul's reference here is to the first four commandments, which is all those things that we do that are directly against God. And then, beginning at the Sixth Commandment, uh, those things, or the Fifth Commandment, rather, those things that are against man. Beginning, we begin this next week on honor your father and mother. I don't know a more profitable time to spend talking about how the law of God applies to every area of your life. And that's what Paul's saying here. God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath against sin is, is the basis of the gospel. We'll get, we'll get to the good news, but the, the good news is not really the good news until you understand the depth of the bad news. 
The theme of Romans is in verses 16 and 17 that we just read, we, we, we covered last week. That the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is based on no, no good in us at all. It is completely, totally something that he applies to believers who put their faith in trust in him. The, he begins with the good news, and then he expounds the bad news. And the, and the good news is only understood in the background of the bad news, which is we deserve the wrath of God. Wrath, that word. It's a word that conjures up all kinds of images in, in our minds. Uh, if you're like me, you grew up in a family, and you know, we had, we had uh, a familial name for family members who expressed their wrath. Some of you grew up in families like that. Generational sin. You know what? The, the word in the Old Testament commonly translated wrath is a, is a, is a word about flaring the nostrils. Being so angry that there's this emotional flare. Now, we are not to describe any kind of evil to God. This is, this is, the, this, this is not um, the kind of wrath of God. Whereas our emotions are tainted, completely tainted by sin, his emotions are perfect. But nonetheless, it is wrong to do it. The emotional aspect of God's righteous wrath. It's wrong for us to ever put ourselves in the position of God and try to emulate His wrath. That's all we do. The wrath of God is totally different than our own indignant. Spirit uses the word to the Apostle Paul here intentionally to describe the reality of God's righteous wrath from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness, all violations of his perfect law. demonstrated his wrath first in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God deliberately breaking his commandment to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they defied the holy God and God demonstrated his wrath by imposing the death penalty uh, you know you may be a, a young person you may read that and say well they didn't really die yes they did they were separated from God which is death 
God shows his graciousness that he immediately pursues them. But nonetheless, his wrath is demonstrated when he posted his angelic sentries at the, at the entrance of the garden, making it clear that they would not enter into that relationship with his father. And neither would we. And ever since that time, God has demonstrated his wrath against sin to all humanity. If you, I'm going to break bad news to some of you. You're going to die. Oh, well, the Lord's going to come back. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to skip to the loo in heaven on this body. First Corinthians 15 makes it very clear that it's going to be transformed. It's going to be quick, but it's going to be changed. You're not going to skip to the loo in this corrupt flesh. Every death is a remembrance of the wrath of God, the righteous penalty of God. I saw a movie one time where, where the prison guard was mocking the prisoner as he was being carted off to the electric chair, dead man walking and just mocking him as he went. There ought to be a little voice in all of our heads every day we wake up and put our feet on the floor that says, dead man walking. It's his righteous against sin. He promised it that as a need that occurred in every single human being that has ever lived since has been under that righteous And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. That's why he died. Not because he deserved that. Because we could not bear his wrath. But from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, and then, and then uh, they begin to uh, fulfill the cultural mandate. They begin to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And, and then uh, the whole humanity becomes wicked. And their, their violence increases. And their wickedness increases. And God says in the book of Genesis... The story you can be uh, uh, the, the the history behind it. You can begin to read in Genesis six. The wickedness increases, and then the flood occurs in Genesis seven. It's because of the violence and the wickedness of humanity. He wipes out the whole human race, except for eight people: Noah. And his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah and his wife, and their and Shem, Ham, and Japheth's wife. That's how how God's wrath was demonstrated. And after the flood, which covered the whole earth, no one escaped his wrath except for those eight people. 
There's a picture of the goss. We have we have little glimpses of his life throughout the scriptures. We have big glimpses of it, and we have the final. I was I could I could spend all day just with illustrations from scripture on his wrath. I encourage you to do a Bible study on him. But the greatest picture is at the end. In the book of Revelation, which, by the way, is the word used in verse 18, revealed, apocalyptic, revelation. And what is the book of Revelation about? His wrath. It's revealed against those who suppress the truth. Those who suppress the truth, he's primarily speaking about Gentiles. He's going to come to his Jewish family members in, in chapter 2, but, but he's really speaking universally to everyone that all are under the just judgment of God. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. The King James Version, some of you have the King James Version, it says, hold the truth. That doesn't make sense if you're reading the King James, if you don't understand the background. The whole, how do you hold the truth and be unrighteous? And it's a word that, and the ESV and other English translations try to get the sense of it. It's like, hold it down. The word literally does, in other places it's translated hold. So it's confusing, but here it means like push it down. If you've ever tried to push something down, it couldn't be pushed down. And the, the best analogy I can think of for, for scripture is trying to pull down a, a flood of water coming up and bursting up. And if you know the power of water, there's no way you can hold it down. That's how powerful the truth is. Truth is more powerful than that. That's exactly what those who are under the wrath of God seek to do. They don't want to hear it. The second point is the omnipotence of the being God. The omnipotence of who God is requires his love. Requires it. That is a hard truth to come to grips with and come to terms with, but it is plainly taught here and throughout the scriptures. I believe the Apostle Paul is thinking about Psalm 19 when he when he writes these verses. I have to think the Rabbi Paul, the Saul, who became Paul the Apostle, is thinking about that Psalm 19 that talks about God has revealed himself in all nature. But it's evident that his his voice has gone out through the end to the ends of the earth. Some sometimes people who who are looking for excuses to cast aside the word of God will say, "What about all these pagan people in all of these foreign lands? What about them? What about those who've never had a clear hearing of the gospel?" Well, Paul's answer in, in 
to that is the answer that's in Psalm 19 as well, is they have heard. Because who God is and his morality and his perfection and his creative power is clear to the whole world. And it is evidence because he has revealed himself to them. It is one of the favorite canards of, of those who are harboring doubts about God to say, well, what about the heathen over there in those, in those faraway places who've never heard? The answer is they have heard. They have. And they are without excuse. What about the hypocrites who, who take God's word and twist it and who say they believe something and their life doesn't measure up? What about it? God will judge them as well. What about my parent, my abusive parents? You may have truly had abusive parents. It's very possible. Some of you uh, come from terrible circumstances. But they are not your judge. Of the Holy God. They are not an excuse. The Bible is clear. It's as clear as it possibly can be about the things that we need to know about God and salvation. What the scripture says is that every excuse that a person seeks to make, that maybe some of you are trying to make this morning in your own heart, in your own uh, morality, every excuse that you seek to make or want to make or are thinking about, of not obeying God, not believing the gospel, is an attempt to put yourself in the place of God. saying that you know better than him about what is just and what is right and what is fair. God is all-powerful. He is all-holy. He is perfect. He is every in every attribute. In his being, in his wisdom, in his justice, in his power. And his wrath. Result of, of, of not honoring God is that they become fools. How do you get to be a fool? You get you worship the creature rather than the creator. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, those things that we know about God that exist in the book of nature as well as the book of the revelation of God, are cast aside because of idolatry. 
seeming to be our own God. And no one have a time in our public worship to, to pray a prayer, to say a prayer, uh, and to reflect together a time of personal covenanting before the Lord God about our sin. Because that's how our hearts go astray. The first two commandments deal with, with putting other gods before God and idolatry. John, John Calvin, one of the great voices in our family and churches in the, in the 16th century, in his commentary on this, he said, Our hearts are, are idol factories. They just pump out idols. Claiming to be wise. That's the outcome of rejecting God and His Word. The outcome of rejecting God's truth is to be under His judgment forever. Tonight we'll look at um, Psalm 53, but The tip of the, the creed of the fool, the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And it's a companion song, 14, 53 and 14, are almost exactly the same. It's quite different between the two, two different occasions. David is true, but uh, I thought uh, it, it flows directly. I believe it's in Paul 9, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they become fools. It's not talking just about pagans. Not just talking about Gentiles. It's a, in that, in that, uh, those songs, he's talking to the people of God. He's talking to Israel. Whether you bow to have a shrine in your at your entryway in which you bow down and offer incense or not, what are the idols in your in your life? I was uh, talking to three men. Story about one of these Chinese pastor friends who preached the sermon, and he uh, he was talking about uh, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. He listed every automobile in the parking lot of the church. Wow, he really wanted. We put those names on We put them on our sports teams and our what? Every idol. So you think this is far removed from you? Simply think about it. What do you? What do you identify with? What is what is in your heart? What is in your mind? What is on your lips? What is what is consuming you in, in, in your thoughts? The outcome. 
Obviously, Sproul in his commentary on these verses uh, talks about agnostic. How you know, you say someone's an agnostic, but uh, somehow some kind of glorified uh, uh, thing. Young, young people come to college and they like to be, I'm, I'm agnostic. I'm, I don't know. I just don't know. He points out in his commentary that the Latin word for agnostic is ignoramus. <laughs> These things are clear. The result of worshiping idols is you become like what you worship. This is never. You've never seen it so true. You can see it right now in our culture. People are reduced to being worse than animals. Animals don't treat themselves. Animals don't abuse each other like people are abusing them. Body shame, body image, problems among our nature are absolutely Because the focus is on the creature and the look and the attraction of the world rather than being focused upon the glory of God in Christ. This is not new. My, our dear friend, Peter Jones, uh, who's been here before to give a seminar, uh, has this incredible uh, ministry that John Redmire, Oliver John Redmire, sits on the board of called Truth and Change. He's come to me first. Peter Jones has been writing for 30, since I was in seminary. That's a long, he's, he's older than me. He's still kicking. But he's been writing about this, trying to get the, uh, the church's attention about this, about this truth exchange. We are exchanging the truth of the Word of God for the lies of ancient paganism. He's written so many books about it. Uh, honestly, they're hard for me to understand. I'm kind of simple-minded and genius, but in a nutshell, it's the old pagan Roman world and values that have come full circle to the, be the main values of today. And all the, the wickedness and the wretchedness of that time is on full display as a hostile world who has lost the veneer of Christianity that covered us for 200 years in this country. And I believe it's just a veneer so often. A few points of revival here and there, but this, this veneer of Christian niceness that, that we must have is being stripped away being taken away.
This idea that you can make a man or woman, that's not new. The emperor who writes this, by the way, who is reigning in Rome right now, when Paul's writing this, is Nero, probably Nero. When he's writing this, you know, Nero took his favorite male slave and turned him into a woman. Paraded him down the main street of Rome in a wedding procession. Think when Paul wrote this book, in the wide circulation that it got, that there was a little uh, animosity waiting for him there. I think so. Yet we live in a world that increasingly tries to shame us into not speaking the truth about being made in the image of God, about honoring God in our bodies in the way that He has called us to. The lies are rampant. The truth about God is being changed for one lie after another. Mentioned Rosary of Lazarus, those five lies of this anti Christian age. I encourage you to get that book and read it. Former uh, head of lesbian studies at a major university, but 20 years ago, God graciously saved her, and she's writing about this so effectively. Get that book. But more than that, because that book is based on this. This truth. Ask yourself today, what are you worshiping? What is what is the what is the object of your desire? What is the main thing you desire? Do you desire the praise of men? Or do you do you desire the favor of God? Have you come to the place in your life that God is your only comfort and your only hope? Do you understand that his righteous wrath is rightly directed at you apart from Christ in you? Do you have a sense of the fear of God? There's an old hymn, I think the one hymn that John Wesley wrote that I like, I mean he didn't write it. I want a principle within. I, I want a principle within of watchful, godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. Do we have that sense? Does the, the, the understanding of the wrath of God lead us to Christ? We had a, a evangelism. Yesterday, wonderful to hear those truths of the gospel explained and a way that we can explain them. But uh, Pastor Don Snipes was leading it, Southern Baptist guy. He probably worlds apart on most everything, but when he gave his testimony, part of that process was learning to tell your story. And he told his story about how when he was a young boy. Part of what called him to faith was 
having dreams of hell. I, and I just, when you talk about trying to build a connection with people in order to share the gospel, and I said that really resonated with me because that was my story as a young boy. When you understand the depth of your rebellion and sin, that you deserve hell, and when you comprehend what hell is, eternal separation from God forever, and an eternal torment apart from the presence of God in hellfire is our confession of faith so plainly said. The gospel is really good news. Jesus paid it all. He took the full weight of the wrath of God upon himself. And in a world that is increasingly hostile to God, we know we have a strong and sure and certain refuge. And we are kept from this wickedness and this violence. So, by His grace and His mercy to sinners. Do you know you're a sinner deserving his wrath? Have you, have you turned from that and to put your full faith and confidence in Christ alone and nothing else? If not, I urge you, urge you now to repent and believe the gospel. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners and take our, our place and take upon himself the wrath we deserve. Forgive us for so often being flippant and presumptuous about that. Father, thank you that if you're a God who's willing to save, the hand is not so short, it can't save. You, you love returning sinners, and you love us to return again and again to you for forgiveness. Father, you, you don't cast us aside. Father, for any young people here who struggle with besetting sin, think that they can't overcome it, Father, give them grace to repent, to repent again and again and again. To know that you who begin a work, you complete it. You don't finish. Father, when a sinner puts his or her faith and trust in Jesus, they completely righteous, completely forgiven. They begin the process of growth and grace. We are in different places in our growth and grace. The more we grow, the more we know how sinful we are and how much more we need grace. And so we pray that you would make that every morning. And thank you for the strong words in a, in a difficult time to speak to these great truths. Thank you for what you're going to do through it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.